I want to welcome you today. I know I normally do the welcoming before. I'm glad to have Hunter to do that. He did a great job. Uh, listen, I do want to add one more thing in terms of announcements. It's not his fault. It's my own. But I, I just want to make sure that we are emphasizing that in addition to all the other things that are going on this coming up Sunday, we actually have one more that we can tack on to that, and that is that it is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday next Sunday as we recognize that. And so as we've done these past several years, at least since I've been here, uh, we're going to support uh, Sarah Bell's ministry that she's a part of, that being First Choice. And so we'll have baby bottles out here for you on the speakers. You can grab those as we've done in years past. And then in addition to that, we'll also have a chest right up here for you if you just want to give uh, your offering in terms of a check or cash. And so you'll have those two options, but we'll kick that off in addition to next Sunday. So I'm glad you're here today, uh, but I think there's a lot of incentive for you to come back next Sunday. I hope you'll join us then. But as it relates to today, I, I do have a word for us, and I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, because what we're going to be doing today is starting a brand new series that we're going to be on for quite some time. I want to walk you through this very short four-chapter book, um, but I believe a very powerful book that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi about 2,000 years ago today. Uh, if you'll notice on the screens, my, my sermon slide, my sermon graphic, I'm calling this series Philippians Joy in the Midst of Darkness. And what I really want to highlight today and hopefully throughout this sermon series is that word joy because if I had to equate this letter or this book to one word, that would be it. Paul actually mentions or alludes to this word joy 16 times in four chapters. You see, for Paul, he had a joy that surpassed all understanding. Uh, We know that early in his life, he would have lived a a highly esteemed life. He would have lived a a posh life as he was a religious leader, a Pharisee, and he was looked up upon. Yet when he encountered God, we know that when he decided to follow after him, he became a, a lowly servant for Christ, even to the point where Paul wouldn't have known where he may have laid his head down at night as he's traveling all throughout the land doing different types of ministry. Furthermore, we know that for much of Paul's teaching and and for much of his ministry, we know that he was constantly opposed. We know that he was constantly oppressed and imprisoned for his teachings by Rome, which ironically enough is exactly where Paul was when he wrote this letter to the Philippian believers. In Rome, he was placed under house arrest. In in Rome, he was awaiting trial for uh, his judgment, his sentence by the emperor, which he kind of alludes to in chapter 4. It believes to be execution. Ultimately, it was for Paul. Yet, despite those things, Paul continued to have a, a steadfast joy about him that never seemed to leave his side. And what I want us to do in this study is discover how we too can experience a similar type of joy. Now, before we jump into chapter 1 this morning, let me give you some general assumptions Uh, about joy that I see in our lives today, in the world today. And and by the way, if you'll let me say this, I believe that these are essentially the same assumptions that Paul is also going to use about joy in his letter as well, which is what makes Philippians just such a relevant book book for us today. The first assumption about joy is this. Write, Write these down. The first assumption, everybody is searching for it. I mean, everybody is searching for joy. All of us want to be happy, right? Have you ever met someone? You're like, do you want to be happy? And they said, no. I mean, everyone, everyone wants to be happy. And if we're being honest with ourselves, isn't that really the reason why we do what we do? For example, if your drive is to be rich, uh, if your drive is to be successful or to get married or to have kids, then, then what you're doing is you're choosing and pursuing a life that will give you, hopefully give you those things, Right? 
Because in your mind, you believe if you can get those things, then you will be happy or you'll receive joy. On, on the flip side, if you're super religious, uh, if you believe that, that ultimately that religion will make you happy or God will make you happy, that's the reason why you're on the route you're on today, because you are pursuing those things, thinking that those things in and of themselves will bring you joy. See, we're, we're all creatures that naturally long for and pursue happiness in our lives. And all of us, you and I included, are constantly searching for joy because at the end of the day, we want to feel happy. At the end of the day, we, we want to feel satisfied, fulfilled, and have those things that our heart longs for. All right, so that's the first assumption that I think we can make about joy that all of us probably here would agree upon. Here's, here's the second one, though. And I think this would also be true as well. The second one is this, and that is that very few of us have it. I mean, we're all searching for it, right? We're all searching for it, but truthfully, very few of us have it. I know that kind of sounds pessimistic. I I know that that can be maybe downright depressing to you, but you and I both know that this is true simply by the advertisements and the commercials that are being broadcasted on our TVs, right? I mean, think about it for a moment. Just, Just think about it. Doesn't about every advertisement promise us joy if we buy their product? You ever thought about that? About every advertisement you see, if you get this, right, then you'll have joy. Ladies, for you, it's if you buy these types of shoes, then you'll be happy. If you buy these types of clothes, then you'll really find meaning and joy. Guys, for you, maybe it's if you buy this type of TV, right, the really big ones, because that's what guys like, then you'll be satisfied. Then you can really enjoy that game. Or, or maybe it's if you buy this brand of truck, then you'll really feel like you've made it and you become a man, right? And by the way, while we're on this subject, while we're on this subject, have you ever noticed something? Have you ever noticed that in these advertisements, the people, they're always smiling. They're, they're always laughing, in the commercials. For example, the other day I was watching TV and, a, and an advertisement came up. It was an advertisement for a, a men's underwear. Uh, and it popped up on my TV and I could not help but notice that the, that the male model wearing the underwear uh, was just smiling real big as he was looking at himself in the mirror, almost like he had won the lottery or something. Okay, have you, have you, am I the only one who has seen those commercials? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like those commercials, maybe Hanes or something like that. Listen, I don't know about you, I do not smile when I put on my underwear. I don't do that. Instead, when I put on my underwear, I'm just trying to hurry up. I'm trying to finish getting dressed, and I'm certainly not staring at myself in the mirror while I'm doing it. But you know something? As I was watching that commercial, I began to have thoughts that just kind of came into my mind. I'm like, wow, if I buy that underwear, then I'll be smiling like he is. Better yet, if I buy that type of underwear, maybe I'll have chiseled arms and sprout a six-pack of abs if I buy that underwear. And wouldn't you know it, later that night, I got on Amazon and bought some. I'm just kidding. That really didn't happen. And I'm not wearing those right now. You're like, that is too much information. Listen, on a more serious note, the point that I am trying to make today is this, okay? Advertisements promise us joy, which therefore assumes that most of us don't really have it. Thought about it that way? Advertisements, they they promise us joy, which they're banking on this idea that we don't have joy. 
Because if we already had joy, then advertisers wouldn't try to sell us joy through a product. But since most of us are searching for joy and don't have real joy, they offer it to us because they know that will entice us to buy whatever they want us to buy because at the end of the day, we just want joy. See, for some of us here today, maybe, maybe for you, maybe you finally got that big job or that big promotion, yet you still feel dissatisfied, don't you? For others of you, maybe you finally found your spouse. Maybe you finally got married. Maybe you finally had all those kids that you dreamed about and wanted. Yet there is still a part of you that feels empty and unfulfilled, isn't there? Maybe you, you got that dream house. Maybe you got that really fancy car or truck that you always wanted, yet you still long for something else because you've begun to realize that that has not brought you the joy that you thought it would bring in your life. God, what's so sad to me, what is so sad to me is that we live in the most prosperous nation on earth, on earth, that being the United States. It was built upon joy. It was built upon the pursuit of happiness. Yet studies show that the number one prescription drug given out today is antidepressants. Because at the end of the day, there are so many people that just want joy, that are just not happy. And listen, I want you to know that I'm not against medicine. I want you to know that I realize that there are some people that truly do need, need those things due to some chemical imbalance. I get that. I really do. But the reality is this. There are millions upon millions upon millions of people, even people in this community, even people within this church who are using things like antidepressants, who are using things like alcohol, like drugs, like sex, like pornography to dole out the pain because they feel defeated and depressed and cannot seem to find true lasting joy no matter how hard they look or no matter how hard they buy this or that. So can we just take a moment and acknowledge and recognize and realize that we are all, one, searching for joy, Secondly, can we just acknowledge that for most of us, we've not found true joy, even though we're constantly buying things, consuming things, and pursuing things in the hopes that's going to give it to us. And then thirdly, I'll give you one more observation about joy or assumption about joy before we jump in this morning, and that is this. We all suffer. We all, we all suffer, which again, that, that keeps us so many times from experiencing what? Joy. You see, I know that there are some of you here today, maybe some of you watching online, who, who carry real pain in your lives. And that for some of you, the pain is so bad this morning that you, you don't even really want to listen to me this morning because I'm talking about joy. You're suffering right now. You're hurting right now. You're in pain right now. And you look at me and say, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. And you're right. You're right. I recognize and realize that for some of you here today, for some of you watching online today, I have absolutely no idea how you're suffering. But you see, suffering has a way of making people, and, and please hear how I'm trying to say this and what I mean by this, almost self-righteous. They, they feel like, oh, 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 you can't speak to me because you can't understand me, and I realize that I can't. But what I want to show you through this book, through this letter, is that the man who wrote it can understand your sufferings. He can understand your pains better than I can, better than they can, or he can, or she can, because Paul suffered in ways that many of us never have. He was in pain. He was in prison. He was abandoned. He was suffering. Yet despite all of that, Paul was able to still experience joy in his life. 
He famously says in Philippians 1, 21, that to live in Christ is to die, and to, and to die is gain, which meant that whatever came Paul's way, he was going to be joyful. He was going to be thankful. He was going to be blessed. And Paul beautifully is going to unpack that for us all throughout this letter. Okay, and so what I want you to understand as we begin to, to dive in this morning is that Philippians is God's answer to how you can overcome any sort of obstacle or roadblock in your life. Philippians is, is God's answer to how you can live confidently and victoriously, even in your trials, even in your sufferings and pains. And it's going to be God's, we're going to say that it's God's answer to see how we can experience an unending, everlasting, unstoppable joy, even in the midst of darkness. So with all that in mind, let's dive in this morning to this letter, to this book, as we see the Apostle Paul write these words, beginning in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in order for us to understand and appreciate this Philippian church, this is the church that Paul is writing to here, Okay, what I want us to do is I want us to understand its origin. And to do that, we actually have to flash back to the events that took place in Acts chapter 16. You can turn there if you'd like. I'm not really going to read any verses per se, but I'm going to, excuse me, give you an overview of what's happening in this chapter. Because you see, in Acts chapter 16, Luke tells us that Paul and his his team of, of missionaries, they're setting out on a journey to go preach the word of God, to go share the gospel. Paul had initially wanted to go to Asia and Bithynia, but God had closed some doors, prevented those things from happening because God had other plans for him, and God actually gave Paul a vision for him to go travel and take his team to Macedonia instead, which is in modern-day Europe. Can we just stop there for a moment and sort of apply this to our lives and, and recognize and realize that God, in His providence, oftentimes directs our paths by shutting doors. Again, Paul had no plans to go to Macedonia, which ultimately is going to lead him to Philippi. If you read accounts of, of very famous missionaries, the most notable ones, oftentimes they wanted to go to a, some other place that they actually ended up going. You see, what that shows us, what that should teach us, is that our task today as believers is to faithfully carry out the work of God in the day-to-day of life. But at the same time, we should also be flexible and be willing to, to pivot and change directions if we sense the Holy Spirit leading us some other way. Because if He is, that is God's will for us in our lives, even if it does not always line up with our plans. In other words, don't be one of those Christians who plots and plans the next 10 years of their life. Listen, I I like to plot and plan. I like to have detailed things. That's kind of how I am. But listen, if you do that, in all likelihood, God has other plans for you. Instead, be faithful to what God has given you in the present and be sensitive to where God may lead you in the future, just as Paul was. All right, back to the story. So Paul and his team, right? Paul and his team, they travel to to Macedonia. and, And when they arrive, they discover a city Named Philippi. Now, in Acts 16, Luke points out that Philippi was a Roman colony, and scholars believe that, that apart from Rome, Philippi was the most Roman of all the cities that Paul would have gone to in his travel. In other words, if you had visited Philippi at that time and you were familiar with the mother city, that being Rome, you would have said something along the lines of, That place reminds me of Rome. Because, like Rome, Philippi was an extremely one influential city. 
That was a huge component of Philippi. It was situated on a major highway called the Via Ignatia, which was the, the great trading route that connected Europe to Asia. And Philippi was the flagship city on that great trading route. Furthermore, like Rome, Philippi was an extremely diverse city. It quite literally represented on the map where, where east met west. And so there's always this constant flow of people coming in the city and out the city, literally all over the world, and with that brought their different religions and beliefs. All I have to say, when Paul and his team are entering into Philippi, they would have quickly realized that the Christian faith had not expanded here. It, it might have been there, but it was certainly uh, hardly non-existent. In Acts 16, again, it tells us that they could not find a synagogue, which is where uh, believers would have met during that day. And that would have further confirmed that while this city was prominent, while it was influential and diverse, it was a spiritually poor and broken place. But as Paul and his team, as they're exploring and assessing this city, they stumble upon a woman who's leading a a women's prayer meeting by uh, the river. Her, Her name was Lydia, and while the Bible says that she feared God, she had not yet received the gospel in her life. Well, upon discovering this, Paul and his team, they, they share the gospel with her. And to their amazement, not only does she and the rest of her family get baptized and saved, but she starts the church of Philippi in her house, which, if you didn't know this, is the first known church on European soil. So when Paul was writing to the Philippian church here in prison at Rome, what I want you to see, what I want you to understand is that he personally knew and loved these people. He knew Lydia, and it also tells us in this account in Acts that he actually stays. He and his team, they stay at Lydia's house for quite some time. It goes on to say that they converted a slave girl, a jailer, and other brothers and sisters in Christ to the faith. And it was these bonds of love and affection that Paul is writing to this church in this letter. All right, so that's the origin of this church. Now let's look at what he says to them with the word of thanksgiving and prayer as Paul is going to open up this letter for us today. This is where we're going to focus on today as we just kind of get started and get our feet wet. Look at verse 3. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy. There's that word again. For all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ with the glory and praise of God. Well, isn't that just a, a beautiful, very personal greeting that Paul is giving to this church here? There, there's no doubt, no doubt, just looking at these first few verses, he loved this church. Paul loved this church. He loved these people. And based upon just these first few verses alone, it, it seems that Paul's joyful, that, that he's happy, almost gleeful. As he's writing these things, but the question I want you to consider this morning is this. How can a man who is sitting in prison, waiting his trial, waiting his judgment, write something so joyful and be the happiest person in Rome? You see, ancient Rome was a consumerist wonderland that was filled with games, 
sexual pleasures, lavish parties, theaters, and more. Yet Paul had a joy that surpassed all of those things and more, as verse 4 says. He writes a prayer of thanksgiving with joy. And while that may be the first mention of joy in this letter, what I want you to see is that this word is going to resound all throughout this section, but also in the entirety of the letter itself. In fact, let me just give you a brief overview of all the times that Paul mentioned joy in these four chapters. A brief overview. For example, in in chapter 1, verse 4, we see Paul prays with joy. In chapter 1, verse 28, verse 18, excuse me, Paul rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. In chapter 1, verse 25, Paul says he will remain on earth with the Philippians' joy in the faith. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul asks the Philippians to complete his joy. In chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, Paul is glad and rejoices with the Philippians. In chapter 2, verse 28, Paul sends Ephroditus so that Philippians might rejoice. In chapter 2, verse 29, Paul tells the Philippians to receive Receive Ephroditus with joy. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul tells the Philippians that they are his joy. In chapter 4, verse 4, Paul tells the Philippians twice to rejoice in the Lord. And in chapter 4, verse 10, Paul rejoiced in the Lord at the Philippians' concern for him. Church, that's a lot of joy. That's a lot of joy. And what that should show us is that true, lasting joy, it's found in Christ. It's found in a community of believers. It's not found in a trouble-free life. It's not found in a world filled with stuff. Listen, I know this acronym is really cheesy, and you're probably going to give me a hard time for it. I'm going to give it to you, though, because I think it's helpful. I think it's how Paul modeled uh, his life, and that is this. The secret to joy is keeping things in this order. Jesus others, yourself. Hence the word joy. Super cheesy, I know. Super helpful, I think yes. And listen, I I tell you that because what Philippians shows us is that Paul, he's all about Jesus. He's all about Jesus in his life. He's all about Jesus in his ministry and his teachings. And his writings show us that his mind is filled with the concern, not for himself, but for others. Namely, the Philippian believers, as he's going to talk about here in this letter. For for Paul, this was his key to having joy. His joy was found focusing less on himself and his current circumstances, and instead focusing more on Christ, focusing more on others. Because of this, Paul was able to be joyful, even thankful, as he opens up this this letter and writes it in prison because his joy, it wasn't found in power. It wasn't found in position or possessions. Instead, it was found in Christ. It was found in the community of other believers that he had had a bond with and a friendship with. with. You see, the, the beauty of this opening greeting that Paul gives us here is that he shows us, the reader, a glimpse as to how we too can possess this this joy that he's talking about here in these first few verses. He shows us in verses 3 through 11 that to have a true, lasting joy, we need to, one, know the joy of prayer. And number two, we need to to know the joy of partnership. Number three, we need to know the joy of anticipation. And number four, know the joy of affection. As we close our time today, Let me just spend a few minutes talking about these with you briefly. I want to show you first where I'm getting this in the text, but most importantly, I want to show you how we can connect this to our own life, how we too can have the type of joy that Paul was displaying here. So let's start with the first one, the joy of prayer. What does it mean to know the joy of prayer? Well, look again at what Paul says, beginning in verse 3. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, 
always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. You see, as Paul prays for the Philippians, he, he's thankful. His mind is filled with cherished memories of them as he looks back, as he remembers when he traveled to see them several years ago. And you see, it was these memories that led Paul to have a joyful prayer of intercession on their behalf. Paul, Paul longed to see the people that he loved, that he cared about, grow and prosper in their faith. He longed for them to grow and prosper in their church and in this ministry. Let me put out one more thing here. One more thing I want to point out. Notice again what Paul says in verse 4. He says, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. If you're one to, to mark in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline or highlight or circle, however you do it, underline that word all. Because while some individuals needed a pastoral rebuke, Paul's going to give a little bit of that later on in this letter. Paul is overall grateful for all of them. Not just some of him, some of them, all of them. Which means that the conflict, it didn't crush his gratitude or love for them. Church, that's just good life advice. The conflict shouldn't crush the gratitude of your love for others. I think that's just such great uh, advice that Paul gives us here. So let me just ask you, let me ask you, do you give thanks to God in prayer, not for yourself, not for what God has given you in terms of possessions or anything, but for others? In your prayers, are you thankful not for yourself, but for others? Uh, to put it another way for you, are your prayers of thanksgiving focused more on me, mine, and I, or are they focused more on we, us, and them? You see, one thing about Paul is that he rarely thanked God for things. Instead, what we see Paul do, he's thanking God for people who despite whatever trouble may have caused him or whatever conflict may have occurred, it remained a source of joy for Paul all throughout his ministry. And you see, that's, that's crucial for us to understand if you and I want to live joyfully as well. Because listen, if you're always critical always focusing on the wrongs of someone, always focusing on their flaws, and you're never going to be grateful for all their good qualities as well, for all their virtuous qualities that they, that they bring to the table. And if you're never grateful for who God has put in your life, then how could you ever be joyful like Paul was? Church, may God help us to see that, that we deserve nothing but judgment and that every good gift comes from Him. May we see that we should not take our family our friends, our, our loved ones for granted, and maybe be quick to forgive them. Maybe not let conflict crush our gratitude. May we give thanks to God for allowing them to be a part of our lives just as Paul did. Let me just close out this, this point right here by saying this. One sure sign, one sure sign that you are growing in grace is that you're becoming a more thankful person. Once you're son, that, you're, that you're maturing, that you're growing in grace, that you're becoming more like Christ, is that you are a more thankful person. Here's my question. Is that true for you? Can you, can you say, I'm a more thankful person? Are you, are you thanking God daily, not just for what He's given you, but for who He has given you, for who He has put in your life? If you do, I promise you, you're going to be more joyful. Secondly, Paul shows us that another way to receive joy in our lives is through this way, the joy of partnership. It's the second way that I believe that this opening 
a greeting and thanksgiving shows us that we can have joy. It's the joy in partnership. And namely, when I say the joy in partnership, what I'm talking about is gospel partnership. Gospel partnership. Let me show you what I mean by that. We'll start at verse 3 again. Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because, you see that? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Do you you see where I'm going with this? In other words, Paul is saying that, that one of the reasons why he is so joyful is that the body of believers uh, that he is serving with, their, their, their co-workers in this gospel ministry. As a result, that's just filled his heart with thanksgiving. It's filled his heart with joy. You see, no, no dying person on their deathbed is ever going to say, hey, uh, honey, bring me my diploma. Bring me my awards. Bring me all of my achievements. No, instead, that person on their deathbed is going to say, bring me people. By my side, people who I admire, people who I love, people who I have formed a deep bond with over a period of my life. And you see, for Paul, he would have wanted the Philippian believers at his bedside because that's how much he loves them. They were more than just friends to Paul. These people were gospel partners in the work of the ministry. They were deeply loved. There was a deep bond that he had with them. So may I ask you, may may I ask you this? Do you have people like that in your life? I mean, do you have these type of people that Paul's talking about? I'm not talking about casual friendships. I'm not talking about business partnerships or anything like that. I'm talking about people who you deeply love, people who you deeply trust and confide in, and more specifically, people who you lock hands with, people who you do ministry with together. Listen, if you do, then you should be joyful for that. There are not many people that truthfully can say that they have those types of relationships with others, if we're just to be honest. Listen, if you're here this morning and you realize, I don't have that type of relationship with someone. I just don't. I'm friends with a lot of people, but not in that way. Listen, I want you to know, that should be good news because you are in a church that is filled with people who, if they are believers, should desire and should want those same things as well. See, Christianity, it's not meant to be a me and Jesus kind of faith. It's meant to be a we and Jesus kind of faith. It's meant to be a a community where we are locking arms with one another, doing ministry with each other, which is exactly why God has given us the church. He's given us the church so that we can unite together in Christ. Not just come here on Sunday mornings and just sit and listen to some tall dude talk for way too long. I'm talking about a deeper, more affectionate love for one another, where we are locking hands despite our differences, despite our backgrounds, doing the work of the ministry, serving in the gospel ministry. He has given us this church so that we can come together and do all of these things, be on the front lines so that we can form a deep bond of love and affection for other believers so that when we struggle, so that when we go through pains, we can minister to them so that we can encourage them and lift them up. Friends, that will give you joy. That will give you, I promise you, if you do that, if you have those types of relationships, that will give you joy. You will be joyful in the good, in the bad, in the valley, on the mountain. It does not matter. That will give you joy. So if you have, if you want the type of joy that Paul's talking about here in these opening verses, number one, know the joy of prayer. Number two, know the joy of gospel partnership. And then thirdly, here's the, the third one, know the joy of anticipation. Know the joy of anticipation. Look at how Paul shows us this in verse six. He says, I am sure of this, 
that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Y'all, I love this verse. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm, not, I'm really good at starting things. I'm not always good at finishing things. I confess that to you. This past Sunday, I told you I love books. I got a lot of books. It makes me look smart. And truthfully, I, I read a lot of books, or I try to, but I don't always finish books if I'm going to be frank with you and honest with you. And if, you, if I took you out to my house and let you go into my shop, you're going to find a, a lot of projects that I've started and not a lot of projects that I have finished. But, but you said the wonderful thing about our God is that whatever he starts, he finishes. He finishes. Paul knew that for the Philippian church. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to encourage them that, listen, God's going to be with you now because things were tough for them then. And then at the end, he's going to complete what he had started through them, which is exactly why he's writing them these words. See, for the believer, this wonderful promise, it goes even deeper than that, that God's going to be with us. Because it shows us that he's actually going to complete that when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, we're going to receive a new body. We're going to be resurrected with him. We're going to be given a body that will never perish. For Paul, this is what gives him joy. He knew that he had been saved by God's grace through placing his faith in Christ, which meant that if Paul died, he would actually gain eternal life and be in the presence of the Father himself. And if Jesus returned, he knew that he would be resurrected, be given a new body. There would be no more suffering, no more pain. So let me ask you. What are you anticipating? I mean, what, what fills your thoughts of anticipation? What are you really excited about? Does something other than the day of Christ Jesus fill your heart with more sustaining joy? Live with the anticipation of what God's going to promise to give you now and also believe that this good work is going to actually come to completion when Christ returns. Trust in those things. Know that despite what comes your way, you are on the side of the winning side. Christ is with you. He'll be with you all the way to completion when he returns. That will give you joy. And then lastly, lastly, Paul shows us that to have this type of joy, we must know the joy of affection. Paul's going to go right back to what he's kind of already talked about. So I'll be brief here. But we've kind of already seen this, right? Paul loves and he has an affection for these Philippian believers, again, for Paul, these people were more than just friends. They were gospel partners in the ministry. They encouraged one another. They prayed for one another. They lifted one another up. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 7 that indeed it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Because for Paul, the Philippian believers were once, uh, never once abandoned him, even when he was in jail, and they kept doing the work of the ministry, even when it got tough. But what I want, to, want you to notice is what Paul says in verse 8. Uh, he says something really interesting here. I, I want to highlight that for you. Look, look at what he says. Verse 8, he, he says, For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with, the, listen to this, affection of Christ Jesus. I think I've told you this before, but I don't know many Greek words, to be honest. But one of the Greek words that I do know uh, and that I love is this word, splagnon. Okay, I love that word, splagnon, because A, it's just fun to say. Can you say it with me? Splagnon. Like, really say it. Like, really say it. Splagnon, right? Splagnon. I mean, it's just fun to say. But listen, on, on a more serious note, the, the real reason why I love this word so much is because it represents the word affection that Paul is using here. And this affection, it's not 
just any kind of affection. It's a type of intense affection that you, that you have for someone. All the way where like, it's, it's deep in your soul, in, in your guts, in your bowels. That's literally what the word splagnon means. It's talking about your bowels, your guts. That you have an affection that would go that deep within you. See, what that shows us is that Paul's love or affection for the Philippians, it, it's so vast. It, it's so deep. It's so pure that it, that it almost mirrors Christ's love and affection for us. Again, that's why he uses this phrase in verse 8. He says, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Because just as, as Christ loved the church and was willing to, to lay down his life for it, so too, in a similar, pay, similar way, was Paul willing to do that for the Philippian believers. The beautiful thing about it is that this was not just a one-way street. Paul knew that the Philippian believers also felt that way about him. And again, this is what gives Paul such joy. One more time, may I just ask you, do you have people like that? I mean, people that, that truly have an affection and love and desire for you that's not shallow, but that's deep, that, that they can feel it almost in their bones, in their guts. More importantly, do you have those people in ministry? Where you're, where, you're, where you're locking hands and doing the work of the Lord with them here in this church, maybe even outside these four walls. According to Paul, this is the key component, one of the key components to having true lasting joy, to, to find joy in Christ first, yes, but also in addition to find it in other believers, to lock hands with them, to unite with them, to pray for one another, to, to, to go out and do ministry to further the kingdom of God because there's no greater joy than those two things. So church, as we close, may I just ask you, may I just ask you, what are you searching for joy in this life? Where? Where are you searching for joy in this life? Where are you trying to find that joy? You're searching for it. We're all searching for it. Very few of us have it. For some of you, maybe you're searching for it in politics. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not going to be a place you can find joy. But I truly believe that some people are, are, are hoping that some political leader may raise up in the United States or wherever and that we'll have joy then. Others of you, maybe you're, you're trying to find joy in your, your job or your career. You, you try to find uh, just ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment with it. Or maybe for others of you, you're searching for joy in your, in your money or, or some earthly possession. And you think, if I can just get this or get that, then I'll have joy. Students, for some of you here today, maybe you're searching for joy in school. Maybe, maybe you're searching for joy on, on the basketball court, somewhere else. Maybe you're searching for it in, in, in the person that you date. Listen, I realize that those things in and of themselves, for the most part, aren't bad. I also realize that you can receive joy in some of, if not all, of those things. I, I get that. I, I really do. But those areas represent the primary way that you are trying to find joy in your life. And let me ask you one more question and be honest. That's this. Have you found true lasting joy in those things? Have you found true lasting joy in those things? If any of those things that I said, you said, yep, that's, that's really, if I'm honest, that's where I find my joy. Well, if that's true, how's that going for you? I mean, are you walking in here just, woo, so joyful, so alive for Christ? 
Be, be careful in, in how you're going to answer that question. Be, be, be very careful how quick you are to answer. Because I am not saying, are you finding moments of joy in those things? I'm not saying, are you finding glimpses of joy in those things? I'm asking, have you found true, lasting joy in those things that, that never goes away, that always fills you up, that never leaves your side and always brings you through your suffering and your pains? See, if I were to guess... If I were just to be honest, and guess, I would say that while we can and, and should find joy in things like our, our jobs, our sports, our hobbies, our, our possessions, if we're honest, that's probably a part of us that is still empty, that is still void. And it's like, there's got to be more than this, because at the end of the day, those things can and will let you down. Those things can and will fade away. But if you want to have a joy like Paul had, a joy that, that was lasting, a joy that always filled him up, that, that never faded away in the good times and, yes, even in prison for Paul. Then, like Paul, I invite you today to find that joy in Christ. Start there. Find that joy in Christ. He will fill you up. He will give you a joy that nothing in this world can. Secondly, I would invite you to find that joy in prayer. In prayer. That you can have a relationship with God through your belief in Christ. And not only can you commune with your heavenly Father who hears your every word, but you can actually intercede on behalf of others. Knowing that your words, they don't return void, but that there's power in them. And that you're actually quite literally lifting people up. I would invite you to, to find joy in gospel partnership. In gospel partnership. You know, I'm not talking about just coming here and listening to a message. I'm talking about getting involved here, getting plugged in. Do I know that it's COVID? Yes. Do I know that times are tough and difficult? Yes. But listen, when we start meeting back together, whether that's next Sunday for you or it's way down the road, I want to invite you to be a part of this community of faith, to be involved in Sunday school, to, to go on mission trips, to lock hands and do ministry together. I want to invite you to to find your joy and anticipation, to to not find it in what the world gives, but to know that God is doing a good work in you now, and He's going to complete it on the day of Christ. That's going to give you joy. And then lastly, I invite you to have the joy of affection, loving and caring for believers, not on a shallow sense, but in in a deep inward sense. That you can trust in that person, you can confide in that person, you know that person's going to be doing the same things for you. Friends, if you do that, You will have a joy. You will have a joy just as Paul is showing us here in this book. He's going to continue to show us all throughout this letter as well. So I want to invite you to receive that today if you've not found it. Let's let's bow our heads as we pray.